What's going on, Renaissance? Man, there's, there's a place uh, that if you go here, uh, I, I've seen it tear up relationships. I've seen it tear up marriages. I've seen people go into this place happy and leave terribly miserable. I, I've seen them go into this place uh, intact as a, as a family unit, and when they leave, life is in shambles. Now, now what place is this? Ikea. Have you ever been there? <laughs> right? Even if you survive the traffic to Jersey, even if you survive the traffic to Brooklyn, even if your friend gives you his car or, or you got a zip car, the one that you wanted for the low rate, uh, even if you so happen to find everything you need at Ikea, right? even if you have people help you bring the stuff into the building because that stuff is really, really heavy, uh, guess what? You still got to put it together, right? No matter what, uh, now some of you guys like putting together this 837-piece uh, wardrobe closet that you bought. But for the rest of us, the normal people in this room, it is, it is absolutely torture. Now, for me, I am not the, the most skilled person as you would uh, in putting together furniture. Uh, when I put together a chair, it normally looks like something like this on the screen. <laughs> See, this is what happens when you eyeball the furniture, when you're like, oh, I don't need the instructions. I'll just, B1 goes into G1, and this screw goes in that place, and everything is going to be everything. Right, so just as a quick word of warning, if you ever come to my house, please don't sit on the left-hand side of the couch. Right, I don't know, I, you know, when, when we put that together, we had a couple pieces left over in the bag. Uh, we reserved the left side for small children and animals <laughs> under 35 pounds. See, no matter what, <laughs> what happens with IKEA, uh, even if you have all of the tools that you need in the box, even if uh, you get every single thing that you need, if you don't put things together in the order that they should be put together, uh, you'll be left with a bag full of stuff. Uh, uh, and whatever piece of furniture that you had to put together, uh, at the very best, you'll have to restart. And at very worst, that which you bought, that couch or that, that wardrobe, won't even be usable. Right? So it, it doesn't matter uh, what you have in the box. What, what really matters is the order that you put it together. But if you're an idiot like me and you feel like you get the hang of it, uh, you skip the instructions and you make up your own order and try to eyeball it, and guess what? It never turns out good. Take it from me. Uh, I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours. My wife and I are in therapy to this day uh, because of IKEA furniture, and hopefully we'll make it. No promises on that, on, on that one. Uh, but a lot of us, a lot of us treat life in the same way that I treat IKEA furniture. Right, uh, we, we have 24 hours in a day. We have uh, this collection of gifts and talents and time in our lives, and most of us, we ignore the instructions on when we should do certain things, and the priorities in our life get all jumbled up, and what we don't get is a perfectly constructed couch uh, or, or something that's completely usable or a piece of furniture that we can admire. What we normally get is something that is unusable, and we have to restart and, re and, and go over things over and over again. See, a lot of us are building our lives like I build IKEA furniture. Uh, we think things are, going, are supposed to go in one place, but deep down inside, they're definitely not supposed to go in that place. And our priorities are really, really, really out of whack. Now, what do I mean by this? We're, we're in the second week on our series of Mark on the Jesus that you thought you knew. And, and last week, we looked at Jesus and Jairus. And uh, it was uh, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture we see Jesus doing things in Mark, and in, in all of the Gospels, really, that you and I probably wouldn't do. 
right? We see a, a picture of Jesus that, that in some ways confuses us, and uh, we'll see Jesus doing things that don't necessarily make a ton of sense. And with Jairus, uh, we see Jesus living uh, and, and treating Jairus and doing things so out of order that Jesus looks negligent. Uh, and really, what we get from last week's scripture is that you really can't import your sense of timing onto how Jesus should get stuff done, right? Like if you, if you put the way you see time and, and you import that and you, t- and you place this on how Jesus should operate, man, you're going to really struggle to feel loved by him. Even though Jesus uh, uh, certainly loves us and cares for us, he doesn't and he very rarely does things on the way we see our time. He very rarely does things on our time schedule. And today we just read a, a passage of scripture from Mark about Jesus in, in which we see how Jesus really rearranged and arranged his priorities. It's a, it's a small passage, so I want to I reread it real quick. Uh, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everybody is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now, if I were to ask you what you think Jesus' priorities were on earth, uh, I bet you that most of us would say that Jesus came to heal the sick, and Jesus came to, bring, to heal the leper and to uh, bring people that were on the outside, inside. And Jesus came to die on a cross for our sins, and Jesus came to love us and bring us back to God, and all of these things are absolutely true. Jesus came to do all of these things. But above all of those things, Jesus had one priority, one thing, one key ingredient, one key step that if we don't put this in our lives, if we don't put this in our lives, not just somewhere in the middle, but first, what we're building with our lives will be like a piece of shoddy Ikea furniture, something that is unusable, something that we can't, uh, that can't hold our weight, it can't hold the weight of all of the pressures of life, and it was this, Jesus got up early in the morning and went to a solitary place. See, Jesus knew this, this one very central truth, and it's this, that our priority determines our capacity. Our priorities determine our capacity. And the priorities that you and I have in our life will determine our ability to get things done. And if you and I want to get to be a lot uh, uh, for God, we're going to have to spend much time with God. And that there's no way around that. We can't flip the order. We can't work our way into being amazing things, into being an amazing person, into being a follower of Jesus. There's one priority that Jesus put above the work that he had, above uh, spending time with people and, and healing people and, and touching people's lives, and that was for Jesus to go and to spend time. See, Jesus had uh, this, this rhythm in his life, and this rhythm is far different from what we would uh, think that Jesus, the Son of God, would need. Right? Out of all of the people in Scripture that probably would not need to wake up in the morning and, and spend time in prayer, like my vote would probably be for Jesus, right? Like if there's anybody that probably doesn't need it, it's him. But guess what? He was the one that did it the most. And when, I, when it comes to me understanding who Jesus is, uh, oftentimes this is confusing to me, right? It, it's confusing to me because the picture of Jesus I have in my mind most of the time uh, doesn't re- revolve around Jesus uh, getting up early in the morning, to go to pray. Most of the time, it's me thinking about all of the amazing things that he did. But Jesus had his priorities in a much different way than I have my priorities sometimes. And, then I, and, I, and, I, and I would imagine that he has his priorities, he had his priorities in a much different capacity than many of you have today also. Now, our priorities determine our capacity. 
And Jesus built his life based on a rhythm of intimacy with God our Father, a life-giving daily devotion with his Father in heaven. And if you and I are going to build our lives and pattern it after the way that Jesus built his life, there's one thing, there's one key step, there's one key ingredient that is never going to be able to go missing, and that's this, that you and I would intentionally, intentionally build our life with our first priority to be in spending time with God, our Father. Now, away from all of the noise, away from all of the things that can distract us, uh, there's no way around this. Uh, but if you're like me, this doesn't come naturally to you, right? So let me just step off my high horse for a second and just let you know that I've been a Christian for about 15 years, and at no point in my life has this ever come naturally or been easy for me. If I'm being honest, there, there are periods in my life where there are, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a rhythm, in a season where I am praying and, and, and reading scripture and in a really good place where God is the first priority, not just with uh, my mouth, but also with my time. And if you want to ask yourself a really good question, basically, where are you spending your time first thing in the morning? Now, for me, there's a couple of difficulties in, in, in reading scripture and, and, and prayer and putting that as uh, the number one thing in my life. And, and you might resonate with one of these three things. I hope you do. Um, here are some of the reasons that I struggle with this, and you might, might struggle with these as well. Number one is you don't see immediate results, right? You, don't, you very rarely see immediate results. And if you're like me, uh, so th this is how I basically live my life and view, and view most things, right? I didn't go to the gym for like four months, and I basically spent every day on the couch eating Popeye's chicken and donuts. It's a great combination, by the way. And then one day, I had the stroke of genius that, yo, Jordan, you should probably eat a salad. Not every day, but just mix a salad. Mix some greens in there somewhere. And you should also probably go to the gym, right? Crazy thought. If you want to get in shape, right? So I went to the gym. You know, I had like a smoothie. And I went back, and I ran to the mirror to see if I saw results. Like, do I see a six-pack poking out? And the answer was no. For the spoiler alert, the answer was absolutely not. Right? But deep down inside, the thing that would motivate me the most is an immediate result. I would love, love, love to see an immediate result of the hard work that I put in. But oftentimes, if I'm being honest, if I read Scripture, spend a day reading Scripture and, and, and praying, man, I don't always see any result. And I bet a lot of you guys have done that because I've spoken to a lot of you, and you know, you've, spent, you've spent a week or a month, and you said, I've dedicated a week or, or a month to, to getting into a different rhythm and guess what? It's not working. So you know what? It's not working. I'm giving up. I didn't see any results. But if you and I really want to see growth in our lives, it's going to have to be long. It's going to have to be a decision made for the long haul. Case in point, if you wanted to, if I can give you an acorn seed and say, this acorn can tear up any sidewalk, what you cannot do is take the acorn in your hand and bang it against a sidewalk like a mad person and expect it to crack the sidewalk. But if you want to see that acorn completely decimate that sidewalk planted underneath, right? And it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen over the next month, but eventually that acorn is going to turn into a tree and slowly but surely it's going to move everything around it. And it's going to peek through the cement and move everything out of its way. And the best way for an acorn to completely decimate a sidewalk isn't to bang it, it's to plant it deep down inside and let it do its thing. And the best way for you and I to see growth won't be an overnight thing it's going to have to be something where we plant ourselves intentionally and give it the time that discipleship takes. Number two, uh, one of the things that I struggle with is I didn't feel anything, right? Have you ever sat down to pray or, or to read scripture and you're like, all right, 
get your chair, turn on some gospel music or something, you sit down, you're expecting this, the ceiling to open up or something amazing to happen, and you sit and you read something and you pray, and you're like, all right, yeah, so uh, I, guess I'll, I guess I'll stop now. <clears throat> right, and you get up from that experience and you think to yourself, honestly, like, this is a little underwhelming if I'm being honest, and maybe I'm not doing it right. I must not be doing it right, because if I'm doing it right, I should be expecting to feel something amazing as a result of this encounter. Like, I should have, me and Jesus should be like best friends by the time I get up off my knees. I should feel my entire body quiver after this prayer, and oftentimes that doesn't happen. And guess what? Our culture is so feelings-driven that uh, advertisers spend billions of dollars every single year uh, not trying to tell you anything about their product, but by trying to make you feel a certain way about their product. Because they know if they can make you feel a certain way, you'll buy it. This last Super Bowl, they spent so much money in doing all these ads, and a lot of them were about uh, people's dads and, and fathers. And one ad from Nissan, there was a, it shows a, a guy who's a race car driver in a Nissan, like Formula One car, and he gets into a crash, and you see his wife and his son watching the television uh, with their breath, uh, holding their breath, uh, scared and terrified that their father and her, her husband had died in the crash. And then they fast forward and they show that the, the father actually survived and he makes out the crash, gives everybody the thumbs up. And then the next day he drives to the school to pick his son up in a Nissan Maxima. And then they tell you, then they tell you how safe that car is, you know, one uh, five-star crash safety warning or whatever. And they could have just started the commercial and said, hey, Maximas are safe. Right? The end. They could have saved a lot of money on how much time that they paid for, for the ad. They could have just said, hey, Maximas are really safe. If you don't want to die, buy a Maxima. They could have done that. But they didn't because they know that you and I are so driven by our feelings that if we can connect to something with our feelings, we'll very likely make a decision in that direction. And when we pray or, or when we set aside time to spend with God, if we don't feel something, a lot of us give up way too fast because we didn't feel something immediately. Now, a lot of marriages have uh, gone by the wayside and, and are crushed uh, because the feelings are gone. And, and feelings are important. Feelings are absolutely important. But feelings can never be the number one decision maker in our life. There has to be something that's better and bigger and above our feelings because our feelings change every single day. And oftentimes, 20 times a day. The third reason that I struggle sometimes, and you might uh, struggle with this as well, is that there's no accountability. Um, you know, I've gone through seasons in my life, and maybe because I'm a pastor now, nobody asks, not as many people ask hard questions uh, about whether or not I'm spending intentional time to get away and spend time with Jesus, right? Most times people say, oh, your church is going great. You must automatically just be doing these amazing things. And um, I'd be lying to you if I said that every day this was the rhythm of my life. And that the best times for Jordan Rice is when I have friends who dig into my life and ask me intentional questions about what I'm doing, not to even like uh, uh, chump me or anything like that, but just to encourage me and to uh, walk alongside me. Now, if you have any goals in life, whether it's professional and working out and certainly spiritually, one of the best ways to reach your goal is to have accountability. And if you want to, to grow a business, you want to be an entrepreneur, guess what? Get a, a professional accountability partner and he or she will help you along that way. And if you and I want to make sure that our priority is set, you and I are going to have to make sure that we have this definitive accountability of people that ask us these questions and are willing to walk alongside of us on this long journey toward Jesus. So I want to, I want to dig into the scripture a little bit more. Uh, but my goal today is certainly not to make us feel bad about anything. I, I hope you guys are not feeling 
uh, guilty or judged. Normally, when we talk about anything that has to do with a, a devotion, uh, people kind of walk away sometimes feeling a little convicted and also a little bit uh, down on themselves because they realize all of the things that they're not doing. But devotions are called devotions because you have to be devoted to them, right? A lot of people struggle, myself included. And if you are one of those people, I guess, guess what? You are absolutely not alone. But if we build our lives out of order, just like skipping instructions on Ikea furniture, our walk with God will be unstable, shaky, and ultimately not what it can be, right? If we build our lives out of order, and we're going to see this in the scripture, uh, our, our walk with God will be unstable and shaky and not, what it, not the beautiful piece of furniture that it could be. So in the scripture in Mark, we see three things about Jesus. Number one, we see the richness of his interior life. Number two, we see that Jesus didn't live based on other people's expectations. And number three, we see how we can grow to be more like Jesus. So the richness of his interior life with God, right? So first of all, let's look at the first couple of verses in this again. Uh, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now, when people learn that Jesus had power to heal and to do things in their lives, uh, we've talked about this for the last couple of weeks, uh, we've seen Jesus in the middle of a crowd, and this is a common theme that you'll see throughout Mark. Every time Jesus hit the scene, it was a huge, huge crowd. Think about the line in front of the House of Hoops on 125th Street when the New Jordans are being released, right? That's normally the crowd that Jesus uh, drew. And uh, Jesus' response to extreme busyness and extreme opportunity uh, wasn't what I would do at all, and, I, and my guess is not what you would do either. Jesus' response to extreme busyness and extreme opportunity wasn't to do more stuff, it was to retreat more, right? So we see this in the life of Jesus that even though he had an amazing crowd and he had amazing opportunities, like these opportunities are really, really good things. Uh, he wasn't turning away bad decisions. Jesus had the resolve and the, uh, the inner fortitude to say no to a whole lot of stuff and to make sure that he prioritized prayer, and how many of us, when we have a season where we have a lot of new opportunities or we get so busy that we, uh, you know, we have so many things in front of us, man, the first thing that usually gets squeezed out is prayer and solitude and silent time, right? Like the first thing to go is prayer. Like, well, once I, once I slow down, once the opportunities leave me, then I'll return to a place where I can pray and get away and have and try to develop my walk with God. But Jesus did the opposite. See, Jesus, when he was faced with crazy opportunity and, and crazy uh, possibility, Jesus was trying to change the world, which he ended up doing. And this guy, the most productive person in all of history, when he had, was faced with more opportunity, he withdrew because Jesus knew that your inner life, that your outer capacity, I mean, your outer, your outer workings will never exceed your inner capacity, right? Whatever you want in life, a fantastic relationship with a, with a, with a, with a spouse, uh, to grow in your walk with God, no matter what, eventually you're always going to give them what's on the inside of you. And then if you want to have great relationships, and if you want to be, uh, uh, to con continue to grow at your job, and if you certainly want to continue to grow uh, in, in your faith, with, in your walk with Jesus, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to come from a deep inner place. And Jesus knew this, and even though he was faced with crazy opportunities, he withdrew. So we can have opportunities to make more money or, or do a lot of different things, and a lot of us got to say, got to learn how to say no to some stuff and reprioritize time with God. The second thing we see from this scripture is probably my favorite part. 
is that Jesus didn't live to other people's expectations. Now, we're looking at Jesus and what we think about him, and we, my first image of Jesus is like, yo, if Jesus is, in, if Jesus is on 125th Street and he knows I need help, he's not going to leave, right? But here in this scripture, we see Jesus just shake out. They're like, Jesus, everybody is looking for you, and what's his response? Let's go somewhere else. Like, yeah, let's go to the Bronx. Like, why would we do that, dude? Like, nobody likes the Bronx. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I wanted to make sure that you were awake. Half of you guys, don't nobody stab me on my way out, please. <laughs> two shots, two shots. That was two. That was a low blow. I apologize. I apologize. I apologize. Sorry, not sorry. But, uh... <laughs> So Simon and his companions went to look for him, and they found him. They're like, yo, everybody's looking for you, and he leaves. Like, he left. See, Jesus had an inner life that allowed him to say no to stuff and allowed him to turn things down because guess what? He did not need to live up to other people's expectations of him. It, you know, if I were there talking to Jesus, I clearly would have been like, yo, dude, you are bugging. This is like, why are we leaving? Like, this is exactly why we're supposed to be here. Like, there's, you help people, they need help, one plus one equals two. Like, why, this is not a, this is not a complex formula in understanding things. And Jesus left and said, well, this is why I came, I, let's go to another place, and this is why I came to preach the gospel here too. And he was able to turn things down, really great opportunities, because he knew exactly why he was existed, and he knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing, and he knew that the key to success, and I don't know who uh, can, we can attribute this quote to, that the, even if you don't know the, the key to success, uh, certainly I know what it's not, and that's trying to make everybody else happy, right? Like, I can't tell you what the formula for success is, but I can tell you exactly what it's not, and that's trying to please everybody else and make everybody else happy. See, Jesus' internal life allowed him to realize that who you are is more important than what you do. See, Jesus' internal life allowed him to realize that who you are is way more important than what you do, and it's not defined by what other people think about you. So whether or not people thought it was a good idea for him to leave and go to another town or a great idea or a bad idea, it didn't matter. He left and went to the other town. See, his priorities were able to be exactly what God our Father wanted him to do because he had a crystal clear, uh, he had a crystal clear understanding of what he should be doing and that his internal life gave him the ability to unpack certain things and to give him the clarity in what he needed to invest his life in. And for a lot of us, some, sometimes our plates are so full, not because uh, we, we're, we're so busy or we're so in demand, it's that we don't even know what we're supposed to be doing, so we get even busier just by doing everything. And when I was in law school, one of my professors gave me this, the greatest advice that, I, that I've probably ever gotten. Um, she told me that uh, everybody usually starts writing on the essays way too fast, right? So you have like an hour to do a couple of essays. And she said, don't, when you get the paper, don't start writing like everybody else does. When you get the paper, make sure you outline everything and spend way longer than anybody else outlining the answer. Go through it over and over and over again. Read the question as many times as you need to, but don't start writing until you have everything figured out. And every single time, even when I took the bar exam, I was the last person to start actually writing my essay, I would look around and everybody was writing frantically, and here I am reading through the question over and over and over again. Now, by the time I actually did start writing, I finished the test before almost everybody in the class because I had a crystal clear uh, path to what I wanted to see done. 
I didn't have to go back and forth, and I wasn't uh, caught up in the, in the busyness, and uh, I didn't lose track, and I didn't lose focus because I had spent the time outlining exactly what needed to be done, so I was able to write a clear, coherent essay. I was able to excel and do stuff even faster than other people because I spent the hard time in the beginning. Now, for a lot of us, we're, we're, we're so busy, and we're going back and forth and doing a lot of things in life because we haven't spent a hard time making sure that we have, uh, we have crystallized exactly what it is we're supposed to be doing. Jesus didn't live up to other people's expectations. He knew exactly what he needed to be doing, and that's only what he did. Now, number three, uh, how can we grow to be more like Jesus in this? Uh, and I'm not going to give you guys any, any, any easy answers on this one. I'm going I'm to take an example out of the page of 99.9% of black mothers, right? So I don't know if this is true in every context, but this is certainly uh, true in, in, in mine. Right, there's something that you can hear as a kid growing up that would startle you, that would make you almost uh, go to the bathroom in your pants, is when your parent calls you by your entire name, <laughs> right? So you could be sitting down, you'd be having a great time, and my mother would say, Jordan Lawrence Rice. Now, it didn't matter what you were doing 10 seconds before that, your brain would start to race, you start to think like, yo, maybe she found that candy bar stole. <laughs> Did my teacher call? Right? And I get nervous just thinking about it. When I say it, I get nervous just, just thinking about it. <laughs> but here's the theology behind that. They knew and they know that there is something, there is something inextricably linked to uh, uh, how you behave and who you see yourself to be. Right? How you behave is tied directly to who you see yourself to be. And if you're acting up, you must have forgotten who you are. So let me remind you. Let me just remind you really quick, this is exactly who you are, and take a seat. Take many seats. And their goal was to redirect you to your identity and who you are, because certainly you must have bumped your head and forgotten who you are, so I'm reminding you, and by me reminding you who you are, that's going to change your behavior, right? So there's a, there's a direct correlation between who you see yourself to be and how you actually behave. And we see these things in Scripture, that Jesus was able to, to not just bend to the will of what everybody else wanted him to do, because he knew very clearly who he was. And if you and I are going to want to be more like Jesus, if, if we're going to want to grow in our faith, we're going to have to know exactly who we are. And we can't get it secondhand, we can't get it thirdhand, we're going to have to go to the source. You see, this opportunity that we have to, to, to make sure that we know who we are, uh, comes in a really complex time because we live in a culture that there are uh, really uh, two huge temptations, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. Uh, two temptations that we see actually in the life of Jesus that we have to fight through every single day. Now, earlier in the, in, in the chapter of Mark, you see that uh, verse 13, you see Jesus uh, being tempted by, uh, by Satan. And uh, Matthew's uh, version of this account is actually a lot more comprehensive than, uh, than Mark. Mark just kind of gives us a little snippet. Uh, but Matthew, the way he talks about Jesus being tempted, uh, essentially what's happening is uh, the enemy, Satan, is trying to tempt Jesus uh, not to do anything really but to displace his identity and who he is, right? So Matthew 4 and 3, uh, it says, we see this first temptation by Satan to Jesus, and it says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, the first temptation that Jesus faced and that you and I are going to have to face is that we are what we do. 
The first temptation that Satan tried to uh, trick Jesus with is to make him believe that he is what he does. So if you're the son of God, if you really are who you say you are, then tell these stones to turn to bread. Jesus says it is written, man won't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. See, Satan essentially was trying to make Jesus put him in a corner and say, Jesus, you are, who you, you are what you do. And our culture is obsessed with this. What do you do for a living? What accomplishments have you have? do you have? How good do you look? What have you accomplished? How much money do you have in a bank? How many zeros do you have behind your name on, on, on the bank account statement? What's your job? What's your profession? How far along are you in your career? You're not married yet? We live in a culture that is obsessed with what we have done and our accomplishments and our first temptation, like Jesus being tempted, is to believe uh, the lie that we are what we do. Jesus rejected that completely. And the thing that would make us uh, uh, really mess up our priorities is uh, a lot of us are doing so many things in life and our priorities are out of whack because truly deep down inside, we have no idea who we are. So we're saying yes to things, to fill up our calendars, to do different things, uh, to prove ourselves, to validate ourselves by doing things. And deep down inside, we don't even know who we are. Secondly, the uh, second temptation that uh, Jesus faced is that I am what other people think of me. Matthew 4 and 5, as you read further in that scripture, says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, Satan invited Jesus to throw himself down from the highest spot in the temple so that everybody would see him and believe in him. Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he hadn't done anything yet. Uh, he's just a carpenter from Nazareth. Uh, Jesus hadn't accomplished anything. And Satan is saying, if you're the son of God, prove it to all of these people. And the second temptation that you and I are going to have to face is that if you are really who you say you are, if you want to matter and, 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 and match up to, to other people in this society, you're going to have to not just prove it to yourself, but you're going to have to prove it to everybody else. That you're going to have to uh, succumb to the pressures to, to, to make it in life in the eyes of other people. And the reason we don't say no to stuff, and the reason uh, sometimes the good things in our life get squeezed out, and the reason we don't have the fortitude to say no to stuff is simply because... Man, we don't even know who we are. We're trying, to, we're trying to live our lives to prove to other people what we can never prove, right? The approval of somebody else comes and goes, man, you know, as fast as anything else. And we can't live our lives based on what other people think about us. And if Jesus lived his life based on what other people thought, he would have just gone with the crowds. Hey, Jesus, I need you here. And he would have just run and went and, and gone along with the crowds. But he didn't. He was very intentional about his time because he knew, just like, and I believe that God wants us to know, that, man, we are not what other people say we are. And we don't, we're not dependent on other people's approval to, to be something in the eyes of God. So Jesus wasn't dependent on what other people thought uh, of him. But his response uh, to, the, to Satan was the same both times. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, uh, you should not put your Lord God to the test. See, Jesus had a well of an internal well that he could respond to the temptations of life with what was written by God. By the one opinion that mattered, Jesus was able to answer with that. Now, here's the thing, guys. Now, I don't know what your days look like, and I know you guys got bills, and you got to pay rent, and rent is definitely way too high. Um, 
And there's so many things going on in your life, and there's relationships, and there's jobs, and there's pursuits, and there's careers, and it's making it in your uh, in theater, or acting, or singing, or, or, in, your, or in law, or in whatever the, your, your field is, or making it in, in whatever. And, and, and I know people are, are busy. I know you guys are busy, but here's the, here's the beauty uh, of what Jesus is calling us to do. Man, Jesus is calling us to, to prioritize our lives in such a way that we would see him first and foremost, and that that would shape the rest of everything else we're doing in our lives. And that Jesus would call us to intentionally get around this thing. And there's, there's actually no way around this. That if you want to follow Jesus, every single time the place that he's going to lead you is into a rhythm that you and I are going to have a selected, solitary time with God. And we can't get it secondhand. And coming to church is fantastic. And having a community is fantastic. But ultimately, what God wants to do in our lives is calling us to himself. Now, our culture also values, um, basically, the way we spend our time is not, is not random. The way we spend our time is based, based on how we, how we value things, right? Uh, so most of us don't really put a, a great value on, on spending that solitary time with God because I, I truly believe that in a lot of ways, we've forgotten who we are and we've forgotten what he has done for us. Uh, a couple years ago, I went to Benihana's, um, an amazing, that's not amazing, actually, but... Um, if you get the hibachi chicken and shrimp, then it's, then it's really good. If you don't go a combo route, then it's not as, it's not as good. Um, but we went to Benihana's, and it was six of us for our friend's birthday. And, man, we ordered, like, crazy food, and we racked the bill up to, like, $350. And there, were, and there were two women sitting down at the end of the table, and I don't know where they were from. We talked to them for maybe five minutes, if that, and it was really not a deep conversation. None of us even got their names. And if we did, we didn't remember them. But at the end of the night, the waitress comes back to us with our credit cards and says, hey, I'm sorry, but uh, those women, they, they paid your bill. And that blew my mind, right? We, we didn't owe them anything. We, did, we hadn't done anything for them. We didn't even know them. And this random act, seemingly random act of kindness, it blew us all away. You want to know what the first reaction to us finding out that they had paid our bill? Uh, we immediately packed up our bags and ran downstairs uh, to try to get away for, no, no. We tried to, uh, we immediately went downstairs and to go after them. We wanted to thank them. I couldn't believe that somebody would do this for me. And clearly, um, you know, you split the, the bill 350. If you split it six ways, it's not that bad. We could have paid it. But I, I often wonder that a, a lot of the reason that I don't go after God is because I've forgotten what he has paid for me. Right? So many times that the, the, the debt that was uh, canceled on the cross, man, it becomes an afterthought. And if we were to give thought to the notion that once upon a time, you and I were sinners, cursed and separated from God, but then Jesus comes on the scene, and even though you didn't deserve it, even though you, you, there was nothing that you did to earn it, Jesus came down and gave his life for you. Jesus gave his life for me. And you want to know what the, the proper response is to that? It's to run downstairs and go to try to thank him. It's to run downstairs and to try to figure out, yo, dude, like, who are you? What type of, what type of person are you that would do this for me? So my, my prayer for us uh, today is to do a couple of things that we would, A, we, we would pray for a renewed, uh, a, a softened heart to the gospel, to this message of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that it would, it would revolutionize the way we see ourselves and the way we see God that we would have people in our corners that would point us back to this gospel truth, that every single day we would live in the newness and the beauty of what God has done for us. And guess what? That's going to be the thing that calls us to Jesus. Let me, let, me, let me pray for us. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for, now I thank you for your people here today. I thank you for everybody, how, how, you, have, how you speak to us, God. But, but ultimately, Father, I thank you for the thing that we can uh, live in, the truth that we can continue to explore, and that's the truth of the gospel. God, that you came for us and you died for us and you love us. Father, I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like for, for many of us, but God, I pray that we would just have a fresh and renewed uh, pursuit. God, I pray that we would um, go after you. And God, even if it's uneventful, even if it doesn't feel tingly on the inside, God, that we would just continue to, to invest our time and, and, and our priorities in that way. Father, continue to lead this community in a way that honors you, in a way that just draws us to yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.